Welcome to Gray Awakenings, a podcast covering the gray areas of life. Hello, hello. Hello. Is this Hannah, Hannah Gray, pronouns she and they. I don't know. I had to think about that. And my fun fact of the day is I'm a home cook. Awesome. Uh, I'm Amanda Drew. My pronouns are she and they. And my fun fact of the day is that I'm terrified of spiders. Uh, My name is Strawberry. Uh, Pronouns she, they. Uh, my fun fact about myself is that I went to 10 different high schools all over the country. 10's a lot. 10 is a lot. a lot yeah. of high schools. That is a lot of high schools. <laughs> so um, today we're kind of, we're going to like talk with Strawberry um, about a couple different things um, and just kind of go through your story and all that stuff, um, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but at first, I just want you to introduce yourself. But first, I work with Strawberry at the Red Fern in Rochester, New York. Um, it is a lovely vegan bakery and restaurant. So that's how we met. Yeah. So yep. yeah. Hopefully do you there's no uh, stalkers that are going to find us now. Oh, God. <laughs> You're right. You don't know when we work. We don't work there. We do not work at the Red Fern together. We don't. It's okay. (laughs) Don't don't stalk us. (laughs) So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your you? Yeah. Um, So I am 23. I just moved to Rochester about two years ago, I think, in October. Um, I came from Seattle, Washington, most recently. Um, I moved out here to be closer to family. I just had a baby, so having familial support. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, having He's adorable. He is. He's <laughs> the best. Um, having, having some family support out here was, has been really nice. Um, my family's kind of estranged and all over the country, so it's, it's definitely something that I've had to acclimate to a little bit. Um, Jeremiah, my partner, uh, baby daddy, whatever, uh, his, his family's giant. So um, coming from kind of living on my own since I was 15 and having a small family even before then um, to having just so many people <laughs> that you're like kind of um, obligated to a little bit emotionally um, as well as they are to you, so that's nice. But um, it's definitely been an adjustment for sure. Um, what else? What do you like to do outside of like work and family and yeah? Um, so I like to draw mostly. I work with uh, fiber arts, so I'll make macrame, things like that. Um, I love to just like binge everything that I can. I really love to just like watch movies and stuff, um, podcasts. You're a crime, crime junkie, crime junkie person. Crime. <laughs> yep, I love my crime. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yes, true crime is is pretty much my passion entirely. Um, today at work, uh, one of one of our coworkers saw me plug in a headphone, and he's like, "What are you doing? Are you listening to true crime?" And I was like, "Do, do you have to ask?" Like, yes, obviously. <laughs> so, um, yeah, very cool. Very very cool. That's, yeah, that's about me. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect. Can I? Just, what what do you like to binge? you got anything fun that you've been listening to or watching or yeah so you can uh, binge listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. binge li- that's, that's real though i know that but is everyone real. glosses over it so i like to be like you can binge listen <laughs> especially podcasts us um <laughs> listen to us binge us <laughs> um yeah so 
trying to think. I've oh, I started watching Elementary lately, which is like Sherlock Holmes, like modern with, oh. with Lucy Liu. She's incredible. I do love Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu's badass. I don't really know who these, this is. I don't know. Um, she's one of the Charlie's Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, if that helps. <laughs> I, I remember her from Shanghai Noon. Did you guys oh. ever watch Shanghai Noon? Yes. No, okay. Yep. This was Jackie Chan. It was like. And Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And Lucy mm-hmm. Liu was in there, and I was like, ah. Oh. I think I was like 12 watching it, and I was like, mm, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like that. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started watching that. Um, what else? I mean, Handmaid's Tale is uh, it's like this thing that I binge, but I have to be so emotionally prepared that last time – like a couple weeks ago when I started watching it, I just, I turned it off and just cried for like an hour. So I've, I've been a little reluctant to get back into that one, but that's, uh, that's another one that I'm really into. And then, yeah, again, anything true crime. Awesome. Just binge. Yeah. Any, anything with crime involved. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, so I know you mentioned you went to 10 different high schools. Do you kind of want to share how that happened, like what yeah. different states you've lived in, kind of your trek across the country. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so let me think. So pretty much since always, I think the place I lived the longest was for six years. Um, but but beyond that, everywhere I've lived has only been like two, two year increments at the most. Um, so come high school, when I Started, I was in Seattle, and then I made my way down to California, and this was with family at first. We, we like, moved, moved ourselves down to California, and then I got expelled from that school uh, for... Being naughty. Yep. Yeah, no, well, actually, that situation was uh, really uh, showed the way that sexism functions in schools, because I... Um, <clears throat> I was having sex with someone at school, and yeah. I got expelled. They didn't get expelled. He, he got not. to stay. Yeah, no, right. Um, there was pretty much no, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, no. There was pretty much no, like, like um, action taken for him, but then I, I got to leave. Um, so that was the end of that high school experience, and I moved to a, a smaller, um, like, accelerated program sort of school. Uh, also in Southern California, um, and then from there, I think I was there just a couple months. From there, I moved to Arizona, where I was in another charter school, um, but that that one didn't fit so well, so I, I didn't make it to many of those those classes. Um, and then from there, it was Florida. What made it not fit? Um, <coughs> circumstances I guess in general um, personal things and then the school just wasn't um, I mean I guess <coughs> I think it was mostly circumstances I think it was just where I was at in life um, at this point I was uh, dealing with some alcoholism <coughs> and so I was struggling with keeping up with things that had happened previously and then trying to focus on school pretty much um <clears throat> so and and we'll get into 
the context around all of that. Um, but so there was that school in Arizona, and then I believe... I think you said Florida was next. It was, it was Florida was next, yep. It's, so, it's a lot to keep track of. Um, I just picture this like giant map in your head. And that's you're exactly like, what it is. Boop, no, that's boop. exactly. like <laughs> I, I literally have, yeah, I think of just the map of the United States, and I like try to just pinpoint where, where I've been and where I was. So yeah, it was Florida next, which was the weirdest school. It like, it was like High School Musical in real life. So it was so That's weird. That's like my worst nightmare. It was so weird. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. No, it was <laughs> like it was just like so cliched and like, it, walking through like hallways and stuff. It was just like you had that one football player and like three or four cheerleaders like bouncing around and. It was it was just such a cliche. It was pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I kind of like, just this is not for me. <laughs> no, yeah, I felt like someone was just gonna like start singing <laughs> at any point. Um, it was gonna break out into like musical format. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that school was another one that just wasn't a great fit. Um, plus, Florida is, you know, Florida. Um, <laughs> so uh, I packed up there and moved. Oh gosh, I think back to California. Yeah, pretty sure I lived back back in California for a bit after that. And I don't know if I even enrolled in school. I don't know if I was long there long enough. But then after that, it was Arizona again. And. Yeah, school school was school was kind of hit and miss for me after a while. Um, I want to hear about that like rich school you went to. The what? The rich school you <coughs> went to? Oh yes, that's the one I got expelled from. Um, yeah, so that was in La Jolla, California, um, and that was pretty much when um, I guess homelessness started for me. Um, it was a really strange dynamic because. Like, I would be, I remember going into uh, a liquor store by the beach to charge my phone at one point and to, like, find a bathroom to, like, wash my face and, like, brush my teeth and stuff before going to class. Um, and at the time, you know, I was, like, bumming on the beach and my school was right up the hill and, like, it was easy enough to kind of pretend like everything was fine, I guess. Um, and nobody asked, so it was um, <clears throat> it was really it was really interesting though going to school with kids that like their parents were paying for their grades, and um, these yeah it was it was crazy. So these kids partied constantly, and um, <clears throat> I couldn't figure out how you were out till three a.m. Like I was with you, we were out till three a.m. drinking and partying. And then you're all up for school, or or you wouldn't even be at the next class, like the next morning's class. But then you're still getting like A's, and you're totally passing all your classes. And then I had a teacher that was basically like, "You're gonna have to try in this class. Your parents can't buy your grades from from me." And uh, then it clicked. I was like, "Oh, that's that's how this is happening. I should probably slow down." <laughs> Wait, legit? Like, your parents can't buy grades your grade from me? Yeah. Wow. Like, like the teacher, she was she was badass she had i mean she, she was so cool she, her like sex ed class it was biology and she also did sex ed and it was so explicit it was like just what everyone needed it was she talked about like God, what did she say i think it was like 
40% of women won't experience an orgasm before like a certain age. And she told us like, ladies, take your orgasm into your hands. <laughs> you need to like make sure this happens because they won't. Um, <clears throat> so she was just like a really, really honest and really cool teacher that um, really inspired me, but also gave away <laughs> the fact that Everybody I went to school with was just so a dirty rich. Dirty little secret. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She just sound. She sounds like she wasn't up with the bullshit. No, like, she was. No, nope. Mm-mm. I'm she calling was that so, out. And she was such a hard ass too. Like she was the hardest teacher I've ever had, and like very strict. She locked her door right when the bell rang. So if you missed class, you missed class. Like at first, I hated her. I thought she was the worst. But like, just as I kept going to her class, I realized like this is what the world needs <laughs> teachers like you you're fantastic yeah <clears throat> um so yeah what uh what else so that that was the super rich school <laughs> that i went to yeah so i guess i mean you kind of started to talk about your experience with not having a home yes do you want to kind of <clears throat> tell us where when that started and stuff yeah and why? so um we, my family moved from Seattle, Washington down to California, which Seattle's a really expensive place to live, um, but La Jolla is so much more expensive, um, especially if you're looking like beachfront where we were staying. Um, <clears throat> and we found a condo uh, for a couple months, I think we were able to find, that was just like a small one bedroom, but we couldn't keep up with it. And how old were you at this point? Fifth, 15, 14, 14 to 15, I think. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, fresh, freshman in high school. Um, so at first, we were just living out of our car as a family, um, and three dogs, two, ca- two cats, my little sister, my stepdad, and my mom. Um, <coughs> we lived out of the car for a while, and then my mom decided that she had a boyfriend in Arizona, <laughs> so she left. Um, <coughs> At which point, we would try to find, like, different hotels to stay in. Um, If I wanted a bed to sleep in, I would kind of just be like, hey, friend, do you want to have a sleepover? (laughs) Um, And try to just stay with friends as much as I could. Um, (coughs) And through kind of just segue into what led to my own personal homelessness beyond living with my family, and being homeless through all of the, um, I guess, upset of my mom leaving and and us being homeless and us uprooting everything to move out of uh, Washington State. My stepdad just kind of lost his way pretty bad. Um, And and, um, because of everything that had happened, um, he, well, it's hard to say if it's because of what happened or if this was something that had been a problem with him before, if he was just kind of a problem person. Um, as much as I don't like to say that because things aren't black and white like that. But um, basically, uh, he, he started molesting um, and raping me at 16 on my 16th birthday. Um, and due to that, um, I was really struggling with like, where do I live? Where, where can I live? Um, <clears throat> it was tough trying to live with my mom because the, there was not support that I needed there. Um, and there was kind of a back and forth of, like, she'd say she believes me, but then she would act differently towards me. 
Um, and it was just a really stressful environment. And then on top of like the aftermath of how it affected me having having a a home life that wasn't um, conducive to any sort of processing or acceptance. Um, it just, I couldn't be there. You know, I, I couldn't live with my mom. I couldn't live with my stepdad. Um, so that's what took me to Florida, um, where I tried to live with my stepdad's uh, parents. But they are a very problematic group of people <laughs> also. Um, and that did not end up working out due to, so I literally uh, one day after school, I went home from school, lost my phone. So I guess people had been trying to get a hold of me all day and I was just sitting on the couch watching TV. And next thing I know, around probably five or six o'clock at night, my aunt comes just like bursting into the house, screaming at me about how like I'm a drug addict and yeah, and like how she's so angry and pissed and I'm such a disrespectful, like calling me a bunch of names, just went off on me. And, um, and then the rest of the family, because of what that aunt had said, she talked to all of them, and they all came at me as well. And so, yeah, I was like, a couple days later, I was like, I, I'm not staying here. <laughs> like, this is not, again, it's just a really uncomfortable environment to live in, um, as well as the school not really meshing that great, again. Um, and then my own inner turmoil of, like, it was hard enough to exist without, like, bullshit around me constantly. Um, so I tried to find peace somewhere else. Um, and I moved back to California at that point, actually, um, which was technically, I guess if you want to look at it like legally, because I need to have a guardian, it was, I had my mom, I had my stepdad, and I had his grandparents. Um, <clears throat> and I figured if I went back to California where my stepdad was, I didn't have to be around him. Like I could just, like, again, my homelessness kind of started there. I. Um, which it had already been going on, but like my personal, I'm not living with family. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like bouncing around like this. I'm, I'm kind of on my own. Um, just the realization that like I'd worn out any option of family at that point. Um, so, so I moved, I moved back to California, stayed with friends mostly, um, Although, yeah, and then at some point along the way there, I'm, I moved, I, I think I missed my sister, maybe, I don't remember what spurred it, but I moved back to Arizona with my mom to be closer to my sister, and, um, that lasted for I think a good portion of a school year which is where I was in the charter school um, sorry I don't usually think about like events consecutively um, I normally like I'll just kind of think it's about like oh this happened yeah way. that like yeah. lining everything up it's just been it was a lot and it's been a lot of years um, so and that's not if you if it like becomes foggy or something, don't don't worry about like 
chronologically. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. We want to hear your story. Yeah, for and sure. And it'll yeah. all, it'll all work out. It'll, it'll, you know totally, what I mean? <laughs> totally. Totally. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I ended up in Arizona, um, for, a w- for a while there and that's kind of when my alcoholism set in pretty heavy and, um, when you were in Arizona, were you were you homeless there as well? I mean, were you were you were living with your mom? Yeah. Or? So it was. Ooh. ooh, we got some thunder. Wow, that's really pretty. You have such that just a made the story view. even more eerie. I'm like, yeah, right. Ooh, it's I know. Those stories straight up creepy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, you asked if I was living with my mom. So it started out that way, um, where I I tried living with my mom again, um, but due to the same circumstances that was why things didn't work out before we were just constantly having problems. Um, and I, this is, this is where I have kind of that, like, I have a hard time. Like, like logically, I guess I can know that what happened is valid, but then like emotionally I get caught up because I just remember like, so my mom told me, to leave the key as I was leaving one night. She told me to leave the key, which like meant to not come back. Um, but then if I, if I try to talk to her about like that night and lo- like leaving the key, um, she just makes up some story about how I wanted to go out and she said no. And so if I went out, I had to leave the key, but I wasn't homeless. I, I decided to leave. Um, and then, oh, and then she started reporting me as a runaway for a while there, which was fun because like, okay, I'm going to make the decision to go to school, even though it's been like torturing me to like exist around people. Um, and then the cops show up (laughs) trying to find me. Yeah. Um, so that was, wait, trying to find you at a school Yeah, as a runaway, as a runaway, who's also going to school. They knew where I was. I know. Mm -hmm. I know it didn't last long because the cops were like, she's probably just at school. Right. (laughs) Yes, I was. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah so through that I uh, was living with some friends there was actually I don't know if I told you this prior um, maybe at work but I think I did I had a f- I was staying with a friend uh, for just a couple days that her so there had been a, like a super big party and I was with this friend that I was living with and I had left and after the fact a bunch of stuff happened to the point where some police came to my mom's house the next, the next couple days, um, where, where I, I was back at and asked me if I knew the details of that night. So a friend of mine had gotten like gang raped, I guess a bunch of guys on her. And then another friend of mine, the one that I was living with also got raped and there was some reports going on and like, it was just a huge mess. Um, and I told him like, I left before any of that happened. I don't know. Um, but they let me know (laughs) that that friend that I had been staying with her family, um, and remember this is in Arizona, so it's right next to like borders where human trafficking is known to happen. Um, her family apparently was very, very suspect and being, um, like looked at for sex trafficking kids between, oh my God, four. 14 and 17 and I was 16 <laughs> yeah That's insane. so yeah right you did tell me that's how it works yeah no so that was just like 
crazy to hear. I know. You never you never think like, oh, my friend. Uh, you never <laughs> think it's going to be me. No, you know exactly. What I mean? And like having a friend that you're living with. Right. Is is second to it's me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so no, just someone wow. that like I go to school with every day and like my little sister hangs out with and we're all friends and she comes over to my house and like. And we were just partying together. And right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like it, it was just very um, unsettling. Um, and scary because like I'm homeless most of the time so like I'll take what I can get but I don't want to get like abducted you know um, yeah <laughs> sex trafficking is not taking what you can get we're just like okay, I'm gonna that's, roll over that yeah, one no, that's, <laughs> like, that's, a good, that's a good point yeah it's not a part of the deal yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hope not. Um, whew, uh, so I'm curious like I feel like the feeling of safety kind of keeps coming up like you when you don't feel safe you kind of bounce so like I'm seeing this pattern and like how do you find this safety in yourself like how did you find that or how did you feel I guess during all this yeah um well to be honest I just um started getting drunk all the time I didn't feel safe I didn't feel um there was a point I remember where I was out all night just walking around and um, I was I was in a bathroom and I looked at myself and I thought like like because I was I was scared you know I was a kid and everything that had happened and the people that I had known in the area and the things that had happened to my friends and just like the world that I was living in um, I I just remember thinking, like, this is terrifying, Um, and trying to, and and not even trying, just reaching a point where it was something that if, if I were to die, that'd be chill, and it kind of took the fear away for me, because the worst thing that someone can do, ultimately, is, like, torture me and kill me, you know, and the torturing part's still there, which was scary, but, like, just accepting that, like, not really caring what happened after a while. I didn't really have the room to, um, which I think also kind of led into compulsive behavior um, that probably wasn't great for my life. <laughs> um, that yeah, it it was uh, definitely pretty much every time I'd leave, it was just because I got I realized that like I was not safe or I was like scared to be where I was. Um, that's that's really good though. You know what I mean, like to recognize like I'm not safe here or um that uh, like trusting your intuition enough as a as a child yeah you were a child you know what I mean and so that's really commendable yeah thank you thank you so much yeah um it definitely it was it was definitely kind of hard to avoid too like it, it was something that um I think I did try to run away from with drugs and alcohol um but Ultimately, I, I would just physically also run away <laughs> and uh, yeah. find, find, try to find somewhere safer to be. So when you turn to drugs and alcohol, kind of what were you seeking from that? Like kind of to numb yourself or like how did that help you in your journey? Yeah. Or harm you in your journey? Yeah. Um, it's actually really interesting. I found, I found that um, it, it both helped and harmed. Um, so... Alcohol generally harmed, um, but drugs I actually found good experiences in. Um, so 
drugs, ha- <clears throat> hard drugs didn't actually show up until I moved from Arizona when everything kind of like all, all shit hit the fan and I needed to be somewhere else. Um, there was police coming to my school. There was my friends getting raped at parties. I was living with a sex trafficking family. Like I needed to leave. So I, and this had been, this was one of the longer places that I had stayed. Um, just kind of hoping that it would turn around. Um, a lot of, a lot of my drive was like fear and also hope. And uh, that brought me back to my stepdad um, when I was 17. Um, <clears throat> like into 17 a little bit. Um, and that's when the hard drugs actually started happening. Um, and I definitely, with alcohol, it mostly was just to numb. It was just to be not there, I guess. Um, it was to not care. It was to be able to talk about it because there was definitely times where I would get drunk and I would just cry and cry and cry. And I was, I was that, that girl at the party. <laughs> um, and I, I would just blabber mouth to whoever was sitting closest to me because I just needed to like talk to someone because I hadn't, like I, I hadn't talked to anyone about what had happened. Um, I told, actually, no, I didn't even tell my mom. My sister told my mom and my mom proceeded to like not believe me technically um so alcohol was definitely numbing and to have fun I guess too um that I I just felt like I could laugh like if I was drunk I just felt like I could have a little more fun than if I was sober um get out of my head a little bit um but then after I after I moved back up to Washington um, with the hopes that I could find a safe place to be. I had a lot of um, friends in Washington um, from growing up there. Um, I had, <coughs> I had, um, I thought, well, I thought I had like good support um, and friendships, um, which I kind of did, but everybody has lives, you know, so it's not like, I needed a therapist, not a friend. <laughs> so I could not find what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but I ended up moving back up, back up to Seattle where Chris, my stepdad, was living. Um, and <clears throat> as much as I wanted it to not happen, uh, the rape started happening again. And he also, he had started using drugs. And I don't know, I guess when your stepdad's fucking you, you'll take heroin, you know? <laughs> um, so I did um, quite a bit. And any any other substance that I could find where I could just, like, not be myself. Um, I also, though, found that I really enjoy psychedelics that way. Um, I, I, I would do mushrooms quite a bit. And um, I, I believe that that actually helped me survive to a degree because I... It helped me process things in a way that um, I don't think I would have been able to if I hadn't explored that. Um, it also, I think, I mean, you know, microdosing, depression, all of that. I think that there was an element of like the serotonin release that was happening that helped me get through it. Um, were you using mushrooms as microdosing, or were you more using mushrooms as like a trip? Um, 
because I mean, like microdosing is entirely valid, and so is yeah. so is tripping. No, I mean, totally. Both yeah. hold therapeutic techniques, and um, no, awesome, I definitely wasn't doing it as like a therapy t- sort of thing. It, it was more, it was more to get high at that but point it, in my life. But it ended I think up it still, being therapeutic. Yeah, I think it still had had similar effects that I, I benefited from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So you asked, were the drugs and alcohol too? Like, what what was the why, basically? And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. it was uh, it, there was good there was goods and bads. I definitely, I think I definitely benefited from certain aspects of the drugs. <laughs> that's good though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, how did you kind of get out of that? at least the hard drugs yeah kind of yeah no that's um honestly (laughs) I always ask myself that question um I don't have an addictive personality um so there was uh, just in the same in the same kind of um headspace where when I felt unsafe anywhere I would leave um uh, that happened (laughs) I reached a point where I was like I am miserable I'm not safe um I need to just go I need to like leave this place and I waited for, like, I didn't really wait, but, like, an opportunity presented itself um, in the form of a boyfriend. <laughs> and so I moved out, and I moved in with the with the boyfriend, um, which, which was good for a while. I mean, it was one of those situations where, like, it wasn't uh, the relationship that I needed because it was out of desperation. It was, I was trying to, like find again I was just trying to find something that I'm not going to find unless I get therapy <laughs> and um you're trying to find home I was trying to find home exactly and I uh, and even just a safe place to be I was just trying to find a place to exist comfortably um and I mean he was he was good he was great he was super great it just wasn't it wasn't a good match um so yeah I just I don't know I decided I was done with it and left um, and there was definitely, um, I mean, I'll be the first to say it. I am all for drugs. Humans have always done drugs. Humans will always do drugs. We need to figure out a better way to handle that fact <laughs> in society. But, um, there was definitely, like, there's, there was definitely drug use after the fact, but it wasn't escape, you know? It wasn't trying to, like, be gone it was just for fun it was just because the night seemed like it was a good night for it you know um but I've never actually had like an addictive urge like like I've never I don't know I don't even know how to describe it because I've never had it but you know so as a person who has been addicted to things yes <laughs> so there's uh it's like a like a fingernail scratch in the back of your head okay that's like like for for me it was cigarettes so okay. I mean like mm-hmm. even though that's a very mild drug like super addictive it's addictive so stuff. so in yeah. the back of your head you're like oh a cigarette would be really freaking great right now and then all of a sudden it's like it moves down to your hand and I can feel myself like wanting to pick up a cigarette like my hand wants to okay. do things yeah so mm-hmm. like that's that's what addiction is for me at right. least so like. If that's yeah. not something that you've experienced when you've been like, oh shit, I really wanna, I, I really wanna shoot up right now, me. or <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh, heroin would be really nice, and then yeah. you feel like you need to to make moves right. towards it, right? Then that's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's awesome. never <laughs> been, 
it's never been it's never been like that for me it's um it's something even to I was actually just talking to a friend of mine who's also um, a re recovering addict because um, you always are once you're an addict um, and uh, we were talking about the difference between a non-addictive personality and an addictive personality and the fact that like he can't even think about it like if he thinks about or if anything smells like heroin or anything like that it just pulls him right back in and it's really uh, like a fine line to walk and I know a lot of like addicts can't like once you're in that recovery you mm -hmm. can't even drink you can't right. do anything yeah because it'll like waver oh yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah like um I've I can in in like hard times I can even just like think about that feeling and that that does it for me and I'm just like okay <laughs> we're good <laughs> relax um that's actually really cool. I know. I think that's no, really I know. Cool. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm get, so grateful for that. Get all the benefits of without destroying. Yeah, everything. absolutely. Like there, yeah. there are lots of benefits to heroin. People have been using heroin forever. Opiates mm -hmm. are a thing. Right. We take them. You know yes. what I mean. Our doctors prescribe them, and yep. it's really, they're very similar. So like, mm -hmm. that's no, awesome. That it is. is awesome. It's 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 really it is such a relief that like I can think about it without feeling overwhelmed, like and drawn toward it. Um, and was your like drug use ever public publicized? Like, did you like feel shame around it or was it more just you needed it in that moment to get through what you were dealing with? Um, I definitely felt shame around certain drug use. Um, it was something that a few people knew. Most people didn't. Um, I guess I was a functioning user also. So I, w I held a job. Um, I like, I, I put on a good face. Nobody knew in my professional life that I was using drugs, um, which is just like mind blowing to me now, because if I stay up past like 10, I'm just done for the whole next day. But before, like, I don't know how I was doing it. I would be like literally on some like Molly or something the entire night before, and then just be like, wouldn't sleep, just go straight to work and just be my chipper ass self. <laughs> no idea how I did that. Um, so, Hmm? Was it was it age? Oh <laughs> yes, I imagine it was age. But I mean, at the same time, like I'm only 23, you yeah, know. Yeah. So but like, but still, even I feel like magic? I peaked at 20. You know what I mean? Very for party. True. So true. <laughs> so now I'm like, I have two especially beers, and I'm like, oh god, I'm not gonna be able to wake up in the morning. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I feel like especially like the harder you went, you're like is the the years you get less of them for that like longevity. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I got um, all of that out of my system in, like, the first two years of college, and now I'm like, meh. Eh, yeah. I'm like, grandma status now. <laughs> yeah, by the time I hit college, I was done. Like, yes. before before I went to college, I was like, <laughs> who drinks who, anymore? Who's an alcoholic? <laughs> you, like, turn 21, you're like, I don't even need this. Yeah, like, right? No one pops pills anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um. I'm curious, like, because I know you kept running and you kept leaving because mm -hmm. um, you didn't feel safe. Was there a point where you had a st you could stop running and you could settle? When did that happen for you? Yeah, let me, let me think about that. Um, gosh. Um, I guess it, it's difficult because at some point along the way, it became 
comfortable. Um, so, so I kind of get this itch every two years now of like, I need to move. I'm gonna go like, gonna go move again. Um, and there may not even be like, like, like even just now I'm coming up on that two year point and I'm feeling it. And I'm like, the Caribbean sounds great. <laughs> Let's go to Puerto Rico. <laughs> and so there's no, like, it just, I guess it just kind of transferred at some point and I'm not really sure. I don't really know when that happened. And, and also I've been so like, even at, at like six months old, I, I don't know if you guys know the Grateful Dead much, but um, my mom followed the dead and I caravanned with uh, the further bus. So like that says it all, <laughs> you know? So traveling has kind of been like your it's life. My, yeah. Like it's yeah. just so my nature um, that it's in your blood. It's in my blood. Yeah. It totally is in my blood. Yeah. My, my dad was always all over the place. My mom all over the place that like, I don't know another way. So even before, like I said, the longest place I lived was uh, for six years. Um, even before the turmoil started, I still moved all the time. So like, I, I just am comfortable in that, which I think probably is why it was so easy for me to lean on when things got hard, was that actually, like, I, I feel like a lot of people would say like, oh wow, that's so like commendable that you were able to like escape. But like, that was, <laughs> that's actually something that I have to work on because I have a tendency to just run away. <laughs> Like the escaping was your comfort. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And like almost if you have any kind of inkling of something's wrong, you just want to leave. Totally. 100%. And like instead of like Deal dealing with, with the comfort yes. and sitting in it. Yeah. Yeah. With exactly. The with the discomfort. With the discomfort, not the comfort. No. Yeah. That's exactly what, it's that's like exactly what it is. In a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, I, at least like in my background of like counseling and like going to therapy and stuff, I've always like, there's been times where I'm like, I want to run away. Like I want to just move somewhere else, like start over. Mm-hmm. And like my counselor has always been like, but you'll still be there. Exactly. So like, how is mm-hmm. your experience with that? Like using this escapism to get out of your situation. Yeah. Like, how did you realize that change has to come from you too? Yeah. Um, so I guess, Man, let me think again. Um, there's just so question. much. Yeah, there's so much <laughs> to that question. Um, how did I do that? So, I think what did it was in. So, when there's the, the grass is always greener sort of thing, and so when when things would get like literally dangerous or hard or like whatever, however it, it transpired, um, in my mind mm. I would get. This <laughs> the thunder is such an added. I love like, it. It's, it's so eerie. Yeah. Um. And in my mind, I would just get this image of like everything's gonna be great. I'm gonna be my most perfect version of myself, and my life is gonna flourish, and I'll be able to like focus on school again, and it's just gonna be fantastic. And then I'd get there, and it was not. <laughs> it was just the same struggles, rearing their ugly head again, because. I was an alcoholic and that kept affecting my life um, because I was depressed and like everything was still there. It was just a new environment. Um, so on, on one hand, while with the extreme of things, it might have been a safer environment. Um, I, m- I may have not been like getting physically attacked. Um, there was just still problems. Um, and I don't even know if I really caught on to the fact that like you can't run from yourself until 
I was actually feeling like I was older, a little bit out of it, and I, I kept, I think, I think depression was part of it, and I kept like planning my life once I'd move, and like I'll start. I'll start that program once I get there. Oh, I'll get my license once I get there. Um, I'll be sure to do this thing that I mean to do all the time once I get there. Um, and I never did. Like, I just kept being me everywhere that I went, and I kept on the same patterns. Um, and it, it, I guess it just kind of helped me recognize that you're going to find yourself everywhere you go. <laughs> And I'm curious, though, how you kind of found that you're going to, you're with yourself all the time, and, like, how you turned that and said, how can I learn to love myself? Like, where yeah. did that start coming from? Um, I got to be honest, I don't know if I've made it there yet. I, um, it's a journey. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's definitely something that I still catch myself, like, <sighs> I guess daydreaming, <laughs> getting lost in, like, some pretend world that's not real because it I am the center of that and whether or not I change my habits is what's going to change like the result of my life um but I definitely have found security in planting roots somewhere um that has really helped me to be able to start addressing all of these things I like I I'm just now in the past year or so actually like dealing with this stuff um prior to that while I wasn't up until like I was 19 or 20 while I wasn't like using drugs as an escape I was still using drugs um all the time um I and and like it was it was it was never a danger, you know? It was never something where I was going to, like, overdose on anything. or I was, It wasn't affecting my life. I still... I guess I have said, though, I am a functioning, like, drug user. But, like, I, I found ways to incorporate drugs into my life, even up until I was, like, 20, without it being me, you know? Like, there was a point there, I guess, where my drug use kind of became my identity, where, like, I... was hiding from myself in the drug use. But then as I got older, I found a way to explore myself with the drug use, I guess. Um, and so I, I've, I've, I guess that was a part of the process of, of being able to experience those different altered states and myself in them. And then now being able to go through therapy and, and be able to talk about it with people. And I'm just at a different point in the healing process. Um, and I, and I, I do personally think the drugs were a part of that for me as much as therapy. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not, I can't say that I'm there yet. <laughs> I, I definitely, okay. yeah, I definitely still, still find myself tricking myself into thinking that like, Puerto Rico, that's where it's going to be, you know? <laughs> California, again. <laughs> that's where I'm going to find myself, finally, after almost a decade. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, because I like how you said, like, I'm seeing the benefits of planting my roots. And before, like, your mm -hmm. roots are almost being spread across because yes. they weren't, like, going in the ground. There was none. Yeah. 
that was more they than even roots exist. being spread there just wasn't any yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you didn't have seeds to grow so like obviously you've kind of had the struggle around family mm-hmm. and um i'm curious like as such a young kid like in your teens like how did you like how even reflecting back now like how how is family for you how is this like institution of family family is the big ass f word for me (laughs) it's it's tough um it's 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 kind of um a paradox i guess because jeremiah's family my partner uh his family is so close and supportive and like non-judgmental and just like fantastic like like kind of suspiciously fantastic you know what i'm saying suspicious to you you know what i mean (laughs) there it is there's the trauma peeking through um (laughs) yeah no it's exactly um but they're they're so good to each other that like and i mean they're they're humans they're family there's the bullshit too but like they're good to each other through that you know which is i think important um that like i i find myself Sometimes I find myself a little resentful because I feel like I'm kind of missed out on something for always. <laughs> but then I'm also so grateful um, to, to have them in my life now. Um, but I'm also very stressed. Like I feel boundaries. Boundaries with family is a weird thing for me because um, I, I haven't had, I guess, the proper, like, learning experience never really gain those skills exactly yeah exactly um that even even growing up with with my parents my stepdad and my mom um there was a lot of lack of boundaries um it, i had a really like controlled childhood growing up um and then after my mom left and stepdad went a little nutso everything flopped and like it went from like I couldn't I listened to a Fergie album with my grandma at one point when I was like 10 or something and I got grounded for two months so like yeah so it was like so strict um religious the works uh, to go from that to my dad figure literally like giving me drugs <laughs> was it's just the boundaries just got all fucked up along the way um, so I do struggle with like feeling this sort of like if they do nice things for me, I feel so obligated to them. Like I, I feel like I have to like you like owe them. I do. Yeah. I feel like I owe them, and I feel like you don't. <laughs> no, exactly. No one owes anyone anything. Um, but I feel like I have to like um, be a certain way which I get like everyone feels with their families that's I know that's totally normal but in the sense of like I I just feel like no way that I am is going to be the right way because I don't really know how to relate to family at all so it's definitely been a struggle but I'm really grateful to have the family that I do have to kind of go through that with do you feel like that that feeling like oh they did something nice for me so now I have to reciprocate do you think that that it does that come from like uh, your childhood? I mean, when, when you were younger, would your parents say things like, um, well, I let you have X, Y, Z, so you need to X, Y, Z? 
Um, or is it just more? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think there's something to that. I think it was more along the line. Like, one thing that they would really enjoy doing, I, I say enjoy kind of sarcastically. Who Air knows quotes. where they were coming <laughs> from? Um, but it was it was the whole idea of, like, okay, so here's just an anecdote to explain. Um, there was a point where they tried to surprise surprise me with something. Uh, so we were So we went to the drive-in, ultimately. But they were surprising me with the drive-in by blindfolding me <laughs> for a while. Yeah, like we for they like made popcorn. They had us put on our PJs. They blindfolded us. We got into the car, and then we sat in the car blindfolded until the movie started. And then they like were like, "Surprise! Take off your blindfolds." But I was upset <laughs> because I was blindfolded. And I also there was a playground, so I heard a bunch of kids playing, and I'm just like stuck sitting in the car with blindfolds on. So I was getting very bothered. And they would things like that would happen where they would go. So they would do some like weird, extreme, like kind of prank sort of thing to surprise us. And then if I got upset, they would take it away because I had a bad attitude about it. So I don't know if okay. that's if that fed into yeah, I mean, this like obligation. I can of like see where you would <laughs> <laughs> where you would get that. Yeah. Um, so do you like hate surprises now? No, I love them. You love them. I do. But also, I, I don't really ever have like no one. No one really ever. I, I don't know when the last time I got surprised with anything was. So I feel like I like the idea of surprises. I've seen them. I feel like there's a blindfold somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it. I definitely have a blindfold in here. <laughs> That's no surprise, Hannah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, I, I, I definitely, I like the idea of surprises for sure. You know, like you see them in movies and this, that always looks fun. It's been a while. <laughs> and not something that's like very traumatizing, you know? Yeah, no, I guess, I guess not. It, um, because ultimately there sometimes was fun things at the end of them so i was like oh okay we <laughs> we're having fun now <laughs> yeah and the road to get there was not easy no exactly yeah. it was a journey yeah yeah so basically you're finally kind of building your roots which mm-hmm. i think is so cool when you said that because you love plants yes I took oh, plant plants yes it's it's very literal so it's almost <laughs> like very symbolic to your Mm -hmm. life um I'm curious like kind of I don't know just how you plan to provide like a different situation apparently I can't talk like (laughs) like a a new situation or or a different situation for like your son and like your this family you're building yeah totally um therapy Therapy, 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 yes. therapy, <laughs> therapy. Could you say it one more time? Therapy, folks. Okay. Therapy. Okay, therapy. Can't can't say it enough. Therapy. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. Um. I, there's a lot of introspection. A lot of um. Uh. Ta- talking to people about things that have happened and um, gaining perspective. And um, my partner, I've leaned really heavily on for support and understanding of like everything, all of it. Um, but most importantly, therapy. Like I, I, I cannot stress that enough that I, I've done a lot of work just on my own time with myself, um, with you know psychedelics and such. Um, and um, with reading all sorts of therapy style 
internet things, um, articles and books and all the stuff. Um, but I definitely know that like the the best way that I've I've seen through everything was just having like a structured. I did um, CBT. <coughs> which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and that, that was for the PTSD that I obviously gained from everything that I experienced. Um, and before that, I had... Real quick, sorry. Um, yeah. Could you just explain what CBD entailed? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 totally. Um, so basically, it, it's a very... <laughs> it's a very structured, uh, formatted therapy style um you work with a therapist it's one-on-one um whereas like other therapies might have like group group sessions the cbt is one-on-one and you go through and you have worksheets that you do you have homework um we started with i had to write a detailed account of the trauma that i experienced um and then oof a big oof (laughs) oof yeah that that put me out this is a 12-week program CBT. Oh, okay. And okay. that put me out like a month and a half. <laughs> I couldn't do it. It was so hard because, so you're supposed to write it at fir- when you start and then you have to read it to yourself for that week between sessions because you're supposed to go every week. Um, read it to yourself out loud, read it to yourself in your head, and then you have to read it to your therapist. And during that, um, you fill out like anxiety chart, um, generalized anxiety report or whatever little paperwork that they give you at the doctor's office and a little depression anxiety to um, like track where you are yeah exactly yeah, okay. and there was there was one other one as well um so you do that and then you have you work through uh what they call stuck points which is basically just um ways of thinking where you get caught pretty much um that tend to show up over and over again that you can work with the therapist to begin to recognize um where they show up in your day like the way you talk about stuff and the way you relate to people and um the way you relate to experiences um so you'll identify a crap ton of stuck points and then you'll just go through and the 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 worksheet that you start off with is basically the best way that it was described to me is like does this statement hold up in court does it benefit you does is it is it a fact you know is it based on um assumptions about a situation does it share the full story and it has like a bunch of questions that that they they go through and you you work on um and by the end you come to the conclusion that no it's no it doesn't it never does um so more like this is a coping mechanism more than it is truth exactly kind of thing okay exactly or or it's um not even necessarily a coping mechanism, a re- like an anger. Like it can be like a, this deep-seated blame and anger and like these things that you've held on to that you get stuck on of like why you can't move forward in life pretty much. Okay. Um, okay. And then it just helps you break down like whatever the stuck point is. Um, and then they have an even more, the next, you know, the next week you'll do an even more in-depth version of what you did where it asks even more questions specifically from the questions that they asked prior. Um, and so you just go through these worksheets um, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you you learn how to kind of become, you, you learn how to be, become able to challenge these things as they show up 
in your day-to-day life so that you don't have to be sitting with a therapist working on a worksheet. You can just like have an experience, have a conversation with someone, realize, oh, that might be a stuck point, and then with yourself just work through it later or in the moment, I guess, if you can. That's an amazing tool. It is. That's really the goal with therapy is that you can you don't need to go to therapy eventually. Exactly. These are going to give you tools so that you can to handle your traumas your or your <laughs> mental illnesses or yes. whatever you're exactly. going on. It was That's so amazing. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then... You wrap it all up. You, you, you continue doing worksheets, and, and they, are, they change each, each week. Um, and then you wrap it all up by rewriting the report of your trauma, reading it to yourself, reading it to your therapist. And, and throughout the entire experience, you're filling out these general anxiety, depression, I think it's PTSD, <laughs> um, work, uh, paper, papers, so that they can keep track. And there's a chart that they'll show you where you know growth isn't linear, so it goes up and down the entire time. But yep. overall... If it's working, it'll have a, a decline rate of, of all of your rates of PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Um, so that's a little little bit about that um, therapy technique, and it it worked incredibly. Uh, during, I gotta say, it was it was it was obviously super triggering, <laughs> um, and like super hard to do, but um, there was a point when I was doing it that I like tried to give up. There was a point where I couldn't leave my house and I was having panic attacks, just like trying to walk out the door. There was there was a day, I think I told you about this, Hannah, um, where I was having a panic attack about going to work before I went to work and I called Rourke, our coworker. Can I say his name? Should we cover that up? Bleep it out. Not Rourke. <laughs> okay, that's true. As long as um, we don't we'll use last names without permission, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we're yeah. going to be cool. That's great. I don't even know if I can pronounce Rourke's last name, so it's great. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I call him and I'm like, hey, I am not even breathing right now. I'm not going to be able to make it in. But then not going into work gave me like a counter panic attack. And so I was just like all over the place, just on the floor crying and having a meltdown. And I finally just like got up and was like, I have to go to work. Because at least like like me, my panic attack about not going to work affected me. But my panic attack that made it so that I didn't go to work, and now I'm having a panic attack about not going to work is affecting everyone I work with. So I have to go to work. <laughs> right. Okay. So my anxiety through, through, the, through the therapy was, like, so high, and I was really struggling um, with my entire life. Um, but as I got through it, as I kind of faced those hard things and overcame them and... <laughs> and Did you just yawn? I thought I saw you yawn on the side of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, no, both and yawned. Then I, and then you made me yawn, and then I was yawning. Everybody I just it yawned. Or something. <laughs> no, you ain't stinky. It's fine. <laughs> well, I actually do have a question. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm curious, like, through your experience, like, how you took care of yourself. Like, how did you make sure you were fed, clothed, showered, like, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, kind of like what w- what was the culture like yeah. surrounding like homelessness in general? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Oof. Um. So, uh, you learn how to take uh, hippie showers, is I think what we called them. Um, go to gas stations, go to the bathroom, wash off. You got your tea tree oil all the time. If, if you just dab your tea trees, you got you, you pick out your f- freaking essential oils that like mask anything for like if you're on the road too much and you can't shower. Um, and then you just learn how to wash in sinks. And then also depending on where you're at, like. Like, um, a lot of gas stations will have 
bathrooms actually for like trucker stops and stuff. So with you can find. And stuff. Yeah, with full showers. Yeah, did I say that? Did I not no. say that? What did I say? You're just sort of explaining a trucker bathroom. Oh, yes. We're like, with showers. Showers. <laughs> showers, exactly. Yeah, I thought I said showers. It's just so automatic there in my head. Um, but yeah, so you, you could definitely find like showers um, at points. Um, but then it was a lot of staying with friends. And it was weird because like when I was living in La Jolla, all my friends were so stupid rich that like they had the most amazing bathrooms I've ever seen in my life. And so maybe that was like a blessing to be able to see like this marble, whatever, stand up bathtub, like jacuzzi tubs and stuff, that I'm was sure. just like <laughs> incredible on a patio overlooking the ocean was surrounded by trees while being in the city it was just like the most incredible thing ever it, these people's houses were so Sounds beautiful bougie as hell. so bougie it was ridiculous um that yeah so i got to ex- experience a lot of rich people living <laughs> when i was homeless because <laughs> i'd use their showers um what about like food oh yeah i mean i um I've definitely struggled with eating disorders for a lot of my life. So there was times where I wouldn't even worry about eating. Um, but also, uh, I don't know, you know, you take what you can get. It's actually one of the reasons I was, so I was raised like completely vegan, um, until I was homeless. And then I was like, Hey, you got food. I'll take it. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I guess, it was just around when I needed it, you know. I didn't die. I was I, I'm, I'm, I was hungry a lot, but I was fine, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. And did you have like other friends who were also homeless? Like, where no. would you stay? Like. No, 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 did no. Did you ever I don't s- sleep outside? And yeah, stuff? yeah. I mean, thankfully, at least in the California aspect of things, like I, uh, I would just crash on the beach, and there's like giant rocks, and it was really pretty out, and nice out, and stars, and. Did you ever like? Ha- have anyone heckle you or bother you or try to hurt you when you were out on the streets or on the beach? Not in La Jolla. There was definitely in Arizona though. There was definitely a lot more of a lot of people just trying to like have sex with me (laughs) mostly. Um, Like, like pick me up like little girl all alone. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like let me save you or, or Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people that were like, Hey, I've got drugs. You want to come? stay at my place and no dude just leave your drugs on the curb i'll, I'll take them right here <laughs> i don't need to go to your place yeah i don't need to, to go to your place them. i'll fucking know you marcus <laughs> no there was this one guy that i just very specifically remember that would buy me cigarettes that was always trying to get me to go to some motel um but i wasn't that desperate i'll just sleep it right here at this uh, bench <laughs> yeah okay yeah that's good yeah <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, you know, the fair share of harassment. Um, I was never really bothered by, like, police or anything. I'd stay on the move, you know? Like, it, usually if I, had, if I didn't have somewhere to be, I would just kind of wander around all night. Um, yeah. But, but generally, I was able to find places to be with friends. Yeah. How open were you with your friends about um, being homeless? Most of them didn't know. Um, I did have a couple, maybe like three or four people all over the country at any point that knew that I was homeless. But in general, 
I didn't really want anybody to know. Especially in California, it was so, so embarrassing that, like, during the day, I'm cheerleader. I'm, like, at this point, doing great in classes still. And I'm, I'm like, I'm putting, I was just putting on such a face that, like, I, c- I couldn't let anybody know that I was homeless. Yeah, <coughs> I get that. Yeah. And, like, did you... Like, was there a lot of shame around it? And kind of, like, where did that shame come from for you? Um, I mean, in America in general, there's an immense amount of shame around being homeless because it's always that person's fault. There's no problem systemically going on that needs to be tackled. It is the homeless person's. Yeah. Right. So there's... We all have feelings about this. Uh, yeah, right. There's an <laughs> opinion a whole another podcast <laughs> about this one. Seriously, though. Um, but so there's just an automatic shame there, but then growing up in a household where like, it was definitely verbalized that, um, homeless people just need to get a job and like there's vagrants and just being, just want to clarify that your family would say that and live in the car. Yes. Okay. I just just want to clarify. You know, it's because some like, internalized you know bullshit. what I mean? With the, I get it. It's fine. Like yeah. the, obviously, that's not dealing with their trauma either. But like, right, right. Uh, I just you know want to just point the, that it's out. It's there. The connection's sure. there for sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, just, you know, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of that <laughs> in in my family of like not recognizing their problematicness or well how. It affects them personally, Mm. you know, like how the homeless epidemic isn't your fault, mom. (laughs) You know, the fact that we were homeless, it's not your fault. There is like there might have been one or two things that we could have changed that would have might have changed things. But like overall. It was going to happen, you know, that like. It happens because of. The world around everyone, not because you fucked up. (laughs) personally um there's a lot of uh victim blaming in this society and i do feel like i mean in this case you were you were homeless because you were being victimized and you weren't safe yeah you know Mm -hmm. so people would blame you for not you know but maybe not in that i mean i don't know because people don't think about these small stories of why people are homeless actual experience of it yeah they just see a homeless person yes and they're like oh you need to get a job. You need to do yeah. this. You need to do that. If but only you, you had done needed this. It's a homeless. way to separate themselves yes. from it. It's a way to... It's dehumanizing them. It is. And it's it's a way to think of, I know better. That's why I'm not homeless. Yeah. And that's why I won't be Classism homeless. Classism, too. It is. Oof. Yeah. Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a whole shit show to tackle, for sure. Um, where were we? curious like your relationship to homeless people now that you have been there like when oh, you yeah. do see homeless people around like like what is your interaction with them and stuff yeah like that? um y- you know uh the biggest thing they're just people like i feel like there's a fear and also like an annoyance around homeless people that like people don't look at them people don't acknowledge them people just ignore ignore or even worse like treat poorly (laughs) homeless people and like even if i can't help you i'll talk to you you Mm -hmm. know like i'm not i'm not just gonna ignore you i'll let you know like 
look, I'm also broke. Yeah. <laughs> it just so happens that I have a house right now, but I am broke too. Um, you can, you know, have the rest of my cigarette if you want or whatever. Um, if I can help, I like to. Um, I know a lot of people, one of the biggest arguments is like, oh, they're just going to spend my money on drugs, so I'm not going to give it to them. But like, so what? Yeah. One of the best things I ever read, and I wish I could give like where I found this because it was an amazing book that I happened to pick up at Barnes and Noble and I was just like skimming through it and I read this section and this man was talking about how he always gives homeless people money because it's not his responsibility what they're going to do with it he's going to choose to think they're going to use this for something they need right now Mm -hmm. and it's not on him exactly it's their choice yeah yeah um I, I know exactly what you're talking about it's that um your your choices reflect on you exactly yep. and their choices don't Re- reflect on you exactly so and whatever you can only do you can only do what you can do past that it's not up to you anymore right exactly if and you want to give five dollars that says something about you exactly if they want to take that five dollars and use drugs to numb or escape right. or to have and that's, fun that's the next part off. of it that's <laughs> the next part of it is like Okay, so someone's in a crummy-ass situation. It's pouring down rain at night. They're sleeping on the streets. Who cares if they want to escape that, yeah. you know? Who knows what got them in the situation in the first place? Mm-hmm. Who knows what PTSD status or, or what d- domestic violence situation they were in that they lost their house because of it? And, like, who knows what happened to these people that, like, who cares if they use drugs? Yeah. Who cares? They're hungry for something besides food. Mm-hmm. Like you don't. It's not up to you to judge yeah. that or be shitty to people over it. You I know? remember um, my first time ever seeing a homeless person. Actually, mm-hmm. it was my high school um, senior trip to New York City. Mm-hmm. Never seen one since, and I'm like, well, that shows my privilege right there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Or, not since. Sorry. Oh. Before it. No. I. Yeah, no. I like, I'm wait. so sorry. That came out way wrong. <laughs> shows my privilege because of like where I grew up. Like there was totally. no no apparent homelessness. Yeah. And so the first time I ever saw a homeless person was when I was in New York City for my senior trip. I have definitely seen homeless people <laughs> since. Sorry about that. Clarification. Just to clarify. I know. Yeah. I'm like, whew. So. Um, I remember like walking by and just feeling like so horrible and um, I'm an empath too. So I picked oh, and yeah. I didn't know at the time and I was like 16, 17 and I just was heartbroken. And um, this woman was like definitely going through uh, withdrawal mm-hmm. and like had like this shaggy blanket and it was so like so uncomfortable for me. And I had money in my pocket and I wanted to give it to her. And my teacher absolutely told me absolutely not. She's just going to go buy drugs. I'm like, well, what if I go buy her a hot dog or something? Like, I can get her food. And he literally had to physically hold me back from giving anything to this woman because he said she'll she'll sell that hot dog for. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, it was so messed up. So, like, I had this horrible traumatic experience. Who the fuck is going to buy a hot dog from just a woman? I know. Or he, (laughs) he was like. Literally, right. and How much I'm like, sell a hot dog for? It was ridiculous. And you can't not get drugs for a dollar fifty. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get hot dogs and I'll sell them. Like secondhand hot dogs. Who wants them? <laughs> yeah, and like he was like, oh, she'll probably like sell the hot dog or like give the give the hot dog to someone and like give them a blowjob or something privileged like ridiculous. People, privileged people get so creative in finding ways to hate marginalized people. Um. I just quickly want to share something because I'm shocked. So, um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, when I, yeah, really. <laughs> when I was growing up, my my grandpa actually um, 
volunteered at the uh, I, th- I think it's the Ministry of Hope downtown. It's we call it the Ministry. Okay. Um, oh, uh, on East. East. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he volunteered there for for years. I think it was like forty five years. Um, he he would come in and he like even if you go there now and you're like, hey, do you know John Spock? They'll be like the guy who gave the hugs at the door. Aww. And so he he worked there. He volunteered there all the time. We constantly saw homeless people. He wa- he owned his own um, painting company, so he would like paint those like big houses that they build mm-hmm. um, on tracks, and he would hire the people from the shelter in order to like provide them food yeah. and like some sort of income. Yeah, totally. Um, and so seeing that growing up and seeing that, it was always taught to us like. You never, you never judge someone because of where they live. Yeah. You never judge someone because of the t- the s- color of their skin. Right. You know, you never judge someone because they can't afford something. Right. Like, and the the circumstances that these people had were were insane. Yeah. Like, oh, I lost a job and I couldn't find one because I had to take care of my mom. Exactly. Like, oh, no, just totally. Like, you would. I would. How would anyone get? I through would take care of my that. mom before taking care of a job. Right. When it no. came to like yeah. my family, when it came to like needing that, so like, it's so weird growing up and having having this privilege that I did learn about homeless people and I had someone who advocated for them in in my immediate life. That's you know awesome. what I mean? Yeah. So totally. It was. See, your story just shocked me. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, that's so. That's so sad. <laughs> Um, yeah, but un- unfortunately, that's normal. It is. No, it's so normal. I mean, yeah. to the point where, like, I was I was so raised with kind of just this very blindfolded, privileged mentality that doesn't really want to acknowledge an alternative. Um, that when that privilege was taken away from me, I was so shamed and so like. Uh, there's an interesting thing that I still see. Uh, with my family where you're so attached to that privilege that you'll blame yourself through like homelessness for example so like oh I don't know uh, this isn't necessarily my story to tell so I don't really want to go too into it but basically due to circumstances I won't say any anyone specific but someone that I know ended up homeless and these circumstances were um domestic violence um (coughs) that that the person was a victim of and to the point where they almost died and the person had to be arrested and taken away and because of that that the person couldn't afford their house anymore and they were homeless and they still through that they were so attached to this idea of this privilege that they have that like they cannot see through it they can't see the alternative of like well i could have died and uh, yeah and like they still they still blame themselves they still like because if they had done something different they would still be fine you know that like they don't just see it as a housing crisis (laughs) that we experience where you can't safely escape a bad situation without losing everything you have (laughs) that um yeah they're just so attached to I don't know their privilege, I guess. Um, that I mean, that's just existing in like a rape culture and a violent culture in general. Like you, 
you and like I feel like in general especially in America like what you do you get when you work for something you get oh, so that's yep. like standardized the American dream yeah exactly mm-hmm. so like when something like this happens I feel like this person like exactly mm-hmm. like you deserved that or in a way of like this internalized feeling of they deserve that and they did something to deserve that right which no no no, no. so it's like this like okay you do you get that's like i mean i don't think it's okay really ever but i mean <laughs> working hard for something like fine that's great but you don't there's do nuance. something to get violated you don't right. do something no. to be raped you don't do something to get never like beat no up. matter what you do it never invites those things no at all at any point ever. and it's not your fault even no. though society is going to tell you it's your fault people exactly. you love are going to tell you it's your fault but guess what it's not it's so not. yeah yeah no for sure yeah um I do want to quickly point out that I, I, I personally know a few people who are uh, homeless by choice. Mm-hmm. It's just how they, it's how they like to live. They're travelers yes. and that's their lifestyle and that's 100%. fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, and that does not make their like uh, experiences any less valid. You know what I mean? Right. I think that people look at those sorts of people who are still asking for money mm-hmm. um, and are still like looking for a place to stay mm-hmm. and you did that right like you chose it so why right. would i do why that why would i give any money are for you, you a good person because yeah. good people help other people out like right. even if my friend wasn't homeless i would give them money if they needed if money they needed if, some money yeah if they needed a place to stay i would give them a couch like yeah. i gotta no, pull out yeah. couch y'all okay we like. <laughs> nice we put such an identity on homelessness in general and like there's it's it's such a crime it's such a you're like you're you're dirty you're a drug user you're like so many bad things people associate with homelessness you're a beggar you're useless whatever it might be that like yeah coming from seattle i know quite a few people that are homeless by choice they live in tents on the side of the road and like i fuck with that you know get off the grid live your best fucking life Mm -hmm. you don't have to feed into this capitalistic society in the way that everyone else does you can chill on your own side of things can we also talk about like the okay i have a lot of feelings right now so real quick when you were saying that you know the movie into the wild yeah everyone's obsessed with that and he's homeless they're obsessed with him wait and like into the wild it's on netflix i'm pretty sure or it was it's like a book too and they're like oh my gosh and he's so sexy and like all this i don't know i feel like He's like tokenized almost, but he's homeless. What's the one? Well, when you're a hot person, you can get away with it. I mean, the guy <laughs> in the movie was attractive. I don't know what he looked like in real life. Well, no, yeah. But I don't know if even if I think it's based on a real story. Who knows? I don't know. But like also I what I was going to tell you or like talk about is this like imposter kind of thing. Yes. like Syndrome, maybe. I don't know. Not necessarily that, though, but like not believing someone's experience right. and that happens with everything marginalized let's oh, yeah. be honest oh, like yeah. you like and i i'm gonna be the first to say like i obviously have privilege i've never been homeless and i still have this thing pop up anytime i see someone on the side of the road who's homeless instantly it pops up because that's just how it's internalized i don't even know what to i almost said homophobia and it's not homophobia uh, <laughs> <laughs> internalized like homeless phobia we'll say um of oh they're probably not even homeless oh they're just 
begging. Oh, this. No, oh, that. Even as a homeless person, I still get that. Yeah. I still get this like knee jerk reaction where I'm like, ew. But that's Don't the same that. with <laughs> racism too. Like, I you can sit here and unlearn racism as much as you want as a white person, but if you do you still tense up if you see a person of color walking by? Do you still tense up if you're the only white person in a room? Yeah, probably because you have internalized racism. Right. And it's just something you have to unlearn every day. And it's the same with everything marginalized. Like if you have privilege, that uncomfortable, like privileged thought is going to pop up and you have to stop it. Right. And you have to say, you have to address That's it wrong. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. what I, or, or like, let's say I like drive by this homeless person. I'm like, Oh, they have like fancy shoes and like, they look like they just showered then. Ooh, or homeless people with dogs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you're like, Hmm, is this really real? And like, that's just all that homeless phobia coming up. You it know, is. It I is. don't even know if that's a term, but I'm going to make it <laughs> one. And it's like, but then I have to stop myself and like, who cares? That's none of my business. If it, they're right. asking for money, they obviously need it. I'm going to throw them whatever change I have in my car. Not throw it, but like I'm going to give them. <laughs> I'm going to hand them like this. as fast as you can. <laughs> Chuck it. <laughs> no. And like if I have a dollar in my purse, like I'm going to give them a dollar. Like whatever yeah. cash I have, you know, like yeah. that is that's their experience. Whatever they choose to spend their money on, that's their, that's you know, their another responsibility. Th- Oh, go ahead. Just real, something that I learned in high school, or no, college, sorry. Wow, blurry. <laughs> um, was that your first thought is what you have been conditioned to think, and your second thought is who you actually are. That's so, nice. like, yeah, which which makes me feel so much better. It's a little comforting <laughs> to know, yeah, for sure. A sociology class in, like, freshman year of college. Good, good Which stuff. was amazing. Yeah, me but, too. But so, like, yeah, the first thought might be, like, ugh, homelessness. And then your, your second thought is, like, huh, fuck that thought then right. that is who you are right. and fantastic That's awesome. so hold on to that you know yes. what i mean because yeah. we're always going to have that first thought of what brainwashing we've been conditioned Our to think literal brainwashed yeah, existence absolutely. in this society yeah so like don't <coughs> don't lose hope yeah <laughs> no that is that's really reassuring to hear um i'm loving this conversation by the way <laughs> my nipples are hard oh yeah hell maybe yeah. not actually i just checked Everyone's checking their nipples. Yeah, we're all <laughs> literally we all just felt ourselves. If my ourselves nipples are hard, you would be able to see it. I'm not wearing a bra. <laughs> um, on another note, too, uh, begging is one of the hardest jobs I've ever fucking had. Like, I well, okay, besides working at a um, as like a sex worker, um, <clears throat> but like, I can go to my job today, like I did this morning at 5 a.m. and bake and be on my feet. And it's, and get paid, you know, minimum wage, whatever, not even, whatever. Um, (laughs) We can talk about that another time. Um, But, uh, like, the respect that I get at my job and the fact that people... (laughs) (laughs) We're just like... (laughs) (laughs) The, The fact that people treat me like a human and I'm doing something with my time like I'm kept busy is so much easier than being disrespected ignored shat on and sitting there or standing there you know for however long or you know approaching people or whatever um that like that's a way harder job there's so much that's some fucking labor <laughs> begging to be honest that um and it's emotional labor too it's such emotional it's so labor. draining yeah. yeah no to think about like just your your typical middle class person who probably just like sits at a desk and pushes a pencil to talk about like oh I worked hard for this money they don't deserve it when like I'm getting like disrespected all day just because 
I don't have the same job as you. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. And like, they don't know your experience. They no. don't know your backstory and they're no. just assuming mm-hmm. everything. Exactly. So. Yeah. Exactly. World is so frustrating. Yes, it is. God damn it. Yes, it is. Ugh. Can you tell us the backstory about your name? Oh, yeah. I love your name. Yeah, it's yeah. So, so my full name, uh, well, yeah, okay. Strawberry Sunshine Lucy Payne. Um, so cute, so cute. Thank you. Um, strawberry. So my mom. Well, there's a few different versions of the story. Um, at one point, my mom told me that when she was pregnant with me, she was just sitting there and talking to me, and she asked me like, "What's your name?" And she heard Strawberry Sunshine. That's so um, cool. Yeah, and I think that combined with um, like my mom's favorite memory with her mom is strawberry picking when she was like four. Um, and then Here Comes Sunshine by the Grateful Dead was, I believe, the first song she heard when she was, like, 16, and she went on tour with them, on, like, the very first show that she went to. Um, so that's where Sunshine came from. And then Lucy, I actually picked myself, um, but it still kind of fits into everything because Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was one of my mom's favorite songs to sing with her friends when she was younger. Um, and so it all just kind of came back around to music, mostly. Um, and good memories. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to finish up this podcast with you sharing any advice that you would give to someone who maybe isn't a situation that you are in or is someone who um, is going through what you were going through and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Like kind of some advice. So like those that are like in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's so many circumstances, you know, how old is the person? Um, what's what, who can the person lean out to and like, like lean out and, re- and like uh, lean on and reach out to um, the the first thing. Like the only place that you can start is by realizing that it's not your fault. Whatever you're going through, it is not your fault because mm-hmm. you will not be able to get past and get into getting help until you accept that. And no matter what it takes to be able to just accept that as a fact of, like, no matter what the experience that you're experiencing is, it is not your fault. That's the first step. And then you'll be able to call a crisis helpline if you need. Tell your best friend. Um, reach out to another family member if you can. Teacher. Um, teachers, yep. Um, any, any adult that you trust um but never it's so hard to like it's so much harder to do than it is to say but never expect the response that you're hoping for because that'll lead to a lot more hurt if you don't get the response that you want um i remember calling a uh, police line and them basically telling me that because i didn't report it soon enough it probably wasn't true And that was, like, I was looking for so much more, and that was so discouraging that it delayed my getting help for a much longer time. Wow, the people were supposed to protect us. I know, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, So so accepting that it's not your fault and reaching out to anyone that you can but not expecting the help that you're looking for because, unfortunately, it's hard to get. But if you continue to reach out, you will get help um, because people do care. Um, Unfortunately, people also don't know how to care correctly and can cause damage if you have too much expectation on that. Um, But yeah, just try to find someone to lean on. And if you can get access to therapy, do so. Um, 
yeah, I guess if, if you can, if you can leave the situation that you're in for something safer, that's always a good move as well. And past that, just don't blame yourself because that's going to make moving forward and healing so much harder. Yeah, kind of off of that, I think that a big problem is especially people who have struggles with sexual abuse, sexual abuse from a parent figure, like all these different things. It's so easy to blame yourself and it's Mm -hmm. so easy to say, I deserved this because Mm -hmm. I'm this way. So they did this to me because of me being me. But it's not about that at all. That's their problem. And they should not have done that, you know, and I I think it's so hard to not take that in and blame Mm -hmm. yourself so and it's really hard too when you live in a society that blames you oh god yeah that like we're doing we're totally gonna do an episode about rape culture i'm just saying yeah hell yeah we have to it it (laughs) needs to be done um yeah yeah just just don't blame yourself because once you get past that point you'll be able to reach out to someone without the shame that you carry on your own shoulders that you that you kind of put on yourself by blaming yourself awesome yeah thank you so much for sharing with us yeah thank you for having me on of course i do just want to end the podcast with a couple statistics about homelessness because i think that it's important um and a we have the number for the national sexual assault hotline uh if you need this number it is 1-800-656-4673 and we have the addiction hotline it's 855-295-2312. You can call those. Those are 24-hour numbers. Um, and they will do their best to help. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully yeah. Well, as long as they're not cops, I'm sure that they'll do something. Um, yeah. I sorry. want to add, very importantly, that reaching out to crisis hotlines also helped me, like, unsurmountably. So while I did have mm. a bad experience... I, I say to continue continue reaching out because you will find you will find people to help you. You will. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, so s- uh, just a quick statistic on homelessness. This is from 2018, so last year. And this is from Forbes. Um, you said 2019. Did I say 2019? Oh. 2018. Totally didn't. <laughs> 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 okay. So from 2018, Forbes. Um, So this is a report from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, They found that just under 553,000 people are homeless in the United States. Approximately 65% of these are staying in sheltered accommodation. I want to point out that in California, 69% of homeless people are not staying in sheltered accommodation. Um, So again, these are like statistics nationwide. And out of every 10,000 people in the United States, 17 will experience homelessness on a single night. And that was in 2018. So, just a little statistic. Yeah. All right. So, thank you so much, Strawberry. Thank you all for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Gray Awakenings. Uh, you can email us at grayawakenings at gmail.com. Go ahead and follow all of us. Oh, wait, do you want to tell us your social media, Strawberry, so they can oh, follow yeah, you? Sure. Yeah, um, you can find me at uh, underscore strawberry sunny on Instagram. Awesome. That's, that's it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you have any ideas for us, just reach out. If you want to reach out to give us some reviews, please do that. But also, if you're on iTunes especially, please rate and review us so we can bump up and more people can listen to us. Thank you so much. We love you.
Bye. Bye.